So the first time she called me to see that 14 or whatever, I ain't know what it meant. Like, you just mad because I don't mess with you. It's like, I ain't giving you no credit. I'm cool. I was just always just light. Light bright. Not damn near white because. No, they called me that. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. I was mouth almighty, tongue of elastic, is what I was told. I asked too many questions. Homegirl, you never. Shut up. Shut up. Yep, my mother said she would go to sleep to me talking and wake up to me talking. She was like, this child's never going to stop talking. And then when I stopped talking, she was like, you need to go to therapy. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Saying the Lord thing we put up there, I'm not, I'm not regular. Well, I'm, I'm regular, but I'm definitely not you. He's not I'm regular. Not like, no, I'm very regular. Mm. I love me some me being me. Anybody else? Anything else? Somebody else concerned. Welcome to All Up In Your Business Podcast, a place where two opinionated siblings come together to discuss black mental health issues in a raw, honest, and in-your-face manner. I'm Lovely. And I'm Light. Come with us as we explore black mental health highs, lows, and what the who do the eyes, ears, and mind of two siblings who are recovering every day, or at least trying to. Sit back and be prepared to shake your head, laugh, cry, and scream. Right. Let's begin the journey. This is Lovely. And this is your boy, Light. And welcome to All Up In Your Business podcast. Where this week we will be doing, I think, I think the third, like the third extension or just like yeah, where we third, fit in. Yeah, yeah, the third like extension. Like just talking about where we fit in in this, in this journey of black living, life, family, uh, culture. Yes. Within the spirits. Mm-hmm. Within community. Employment, politics, and spirituality. Trying to figure out when you're allowed to be like, fuck y'all, and like, smack the table off. Just about Don't every day of my Don't. life. Just about every day of my life. You can't just smack the table. You can smack the table. You don't know you, how many tables I You can't smack. flip the table. You don't know how many tables I smack. I literally had an experience where I, I started getting in, you know, I got into... I told you how I came to my faith was pretty much sitting in a security group. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. with some pastor leading me down an aisle and all of those things. So when I came to my faith, I, I, I studied, I read a lot, and I would read not just, I wouldn't just read the Bible, I would read other people, the origins of other, the origins yeah, of pretty much, yeah, the origins of, read, of other people's religions mm-hmm. and like who the founders were, and I would do all of that stuff. And so, longer story short, one of the things I did was, I, people would talk to me, but I would never try to, like I said, I would never try to proselytize. I just kind of would live my faith and people would ask questions and then we'd talk. And if me and a person clicked, we would keep rolling. So I had this buddy of mine, him and I clicked and we worked together. And so well, while we were working together, we would study, we would, you know, we would just hang out, we would talk. And so he, unfortunately, his, he would, he, well, I say unfortunately, they belonged to a, a church of organization where they didn't hold the same views that I held about the Bible. And so, you know, 
his wife grew concerned with him spending this time talking with me mm-hmm. and hanging us hanging out and growing and stuff like that. And he was kind of pulling away from the church. Not at my, he didn't start going to work. Yeah, but it was just him coming to his own realization. Exactly. He he felt like we agreed, and so that's what it was. So what he did was she had me talk to, one day, you know, we we were all sitting around, so she called her mom. So her mom talked to me after I kind of answered her mom's questions and shut her down, just flipping through the Bible. Her mom, her, her, her mother gave the phone to her father. So the father gets on the phone, I say some things to him, shut him down. And then, you know, went through the mother, the father, the cousin, and lo and behold, one evening, one Friday night, I'm sitting in their apartment with their pastor of their, their church who invited me to convince me that what they believe is true. Uh, and it wasn't, well, that's their thing. But needless to say, we had this conversation. So in the midst of all of our talking, I caught him in a lie, caught him in several lies. And when I caught him in this lie, I was like, that's it right there. You're not going to tell me. And I pounded my fist on the table, as I often do. But they had a glass table. The entire glass table set. And it was one of the most embarrassing and costly because we didn't have a lot of money at the time. (laughs) Oh, money to spare on those things. We had money, but we didn't have money to spend on somebody else's new dining room set. But the, the glass broke and everything. It was funny because we were rec- we were actually back then. This was in the late nineties. We were actually recording our conversations, wow. and lo and behold, the next day the tape of those recordings disappeared. Mm. The the cousin wanted to hear our conversations and accidentally recorded over the the, uh, right. the cassette tape uh, because he didn't um, he felt as if. Uh, he he was cleaning and he just thought he was listening to the whole conversation and recorded over both sides of the tape at the time. Wow, that's that's real hard. I mean, because you got to flip the tape around. Back yeah, don't like take it out, needless, flip it over. Needless to say, we do understand how certain beliefs and viewpoints continue to go on. They made that tape disappear real quick. I thought it was hilariously funny. But yes, I do flip tables. I have, and I will flip them again. I don't think I flip tables. I I don't. I don't think I flip tables. I will walk away from your table. I believe you on that. that that's that's me. Right in the middle of like, and what you won't do is to just, just walk out the door. And I shut the door, get in the car, and you hear the music go real loud. And I pull off. Black fist, I'm going to stay in there and fight. I'm not interested. <laughs> I think I have the Aquarius gene where I don't care so much that I just really don't like. But see, I don't. I'm, I'm with you. I don't. It's not that I... I enjoy, I always tell people, even after we finish, like, I just enjoy the competitive nature of, like, debating. I enjoy that, and I enjoy it because most of the time, I always tell people, there's there's a few things that are serious to me. My faith is one, but I don't believe my faith is meant to be pressed on, impressed on you, so that, that doesn't cause me to fuss with you. And even if I have a discussion with you, you're not going to change the experience that I had in July of 1994. You're never going to change that for me. So regardless of what you say, that's rooted in better than oh, really? me. Yeah. That, because that's you. You know exactly. what I mean? That's why I say me, not interested. Like so not interested. And it's not even now that is not one of those things where I'm running because I'm trying to not have a conversation or because I feel like anxiety. It's just that as long as I can remember when I'm really not interested. That was funny. <laughs> when I'm really not interested, 
it is there's no part of me that wants to continue a conversation okay now maturity will teach you that you know you do have to stay sometimes at the table because if you care enough about somebody you're going to want to finish the conversation i got you Mm -hmm. i will let you know that i probably if you could like have a movie screen of what's happening in my head as you're talking you want to let me go you be like this whatever's happening here <laughs> mm. you need holy water a little sanctifying because <laughs> I'm like this so, not you. dear lord you know my heart I'm about to smack a mofo and he be like Lisa get up and go get in your car <laughs> 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 Jimmy Baker, get up and go and get in your car. Drive off. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Holy water sprinkles. I ain't do holy water, so I'm good. Yeah. Nothing either. Hey. Okay. All right. So what we want to talk about this week, it's as as we've kind of taken you to through a couple of the podcasts talking about our lives, kind of how we what, what our lives like were were like when we met each other, then once we met each other, kind of how we developed, and as we developed, something over the course of the last over our twenty some odd years of being in a relationship, almost thirty years of being in you know relationships, is we both kind of realized we don't fit into, and I know I don't fit into any particular category. Yeah, I'm not a status quo girl at all. Same here. I'm not a status quo guy. I, I think yeah. if you try to. Most people, when they see, either if they saw my resume or saw some parts of my background, they always go to talking about church life with me. And I would always tell them, I that, don't fit in. It's and just, never, look, that's just a portion. Like, but, you're allowed to have, you know, I think that people make the assumption that you have, you can't have sections of your life that don't fit in with the norm. You know, like, it's like, okay, yes, I'm in a relation. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's like, when people hear... Oh, you guys have been in a relationship, you know, 29 years with your spouse. I'm like, yeah, but like, you need to understand that we've been with the same person, but we have not been the same person. Neither one of us. Going through all of that. But people have this misconception. That's what I talked about earlier today when I was, um, made my little video. I saw your Tuesday. I saw your Tuesday talk or Tuesday. Thoughts or thoughts. Thoughts on Tuesday. Tuesday. But, you know, my thought was. People have this misconception that like you fall in love and you stay the same course. That nobody changes, nothing ruffles. You know, it's the same thing through life. I'm sure that the person that you were at 17 was different at 27, different at 37. 37. You know what I mean? I ain't 47 yet. Trisha is though. Wow, we just calling it out like that. I'm 46. I'm I'm approaching. I'm soon approaching. It is what it is. I know. But look at me though. Look at me now. No, but no, I, you know what's funny. But I, when 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 they when when individuals feel that way, anybody who's listening to the podcast, what I would tell them is that's not true. I think that as and you and I talked even before we started this podcast. I told you, you know, I had to sit down and we had to have, you know, we were, you know, Trish and I were having conversations about like what our plans were from all up in your business there i've had several opportunities to do things you've been involved in ventures outside of this this is something that once we got into this we knew what we would the impact that we not only wanted to have on our lives and our families but the different individuals who would hear it and and we have a whole plan 
based upon what we're trying to do. And uh, we, you know, that while that is for one point two million dollars to fall into my pocket right now. I'm that's a little saying. bit of money. Come on, man. Look, yeah. I said right now. Right. Okay, I just I got to be able to not work in order to get this life going. We we we're getting there, but that's the that's the grind. But that's it. No grind, no glory, no work, no story. We got a story. We developing well, our story. My story is, is that you got to play lottery. <laughs> no, win. I don't play. So I I'm don't just play. saying, once a year. But what I was trying to say is, no. What I was trying to say is, I think that over the even over the course of I know our 29 years, we have conversations, and while we've had opportunities to. And I was thinking this as I was even, you know, getting prepared for this. We've had opportunities to dissolve or to say, you know what, let's just walk away because as different things were going on in our marriage and in our life, the one thing that always drove me was, like I say, family. I love family. I love Absolutely. my family too much, and that's what I want so it's much. It's not too much. I mean, when I, you know, when I. It's never too much. Like <laughs> Luther Vandross said, never too much, never too much, never but, too much. And even with, even with those feelings, like I said, there's no predictors of the future, but there's definitely things that you can control along the journey. And that's what we continue to choose to control, even as we go through the different phases of life. So, um, but. But where, where we, we fit, fit in. in. Yeah, where we fit in. <laughs> I was going to say, where, where do we fit in? I, you know, honestly, I still don't know. For me, I'm still growing. I think that I have, I've learned to really like my pocket. I don't, and I don't stray away from things that make me happy, even if, it, like I said before, even if the room doesn't particularly care for it. Mm -hmm. That's never been my thing. Like, I've always been able to kind of fall into myself. But I think that's a part of my personality, your mm -hmm. personality. We can kind of shut the world out and go right into our own little bubble. Which also can be a hindrance because if people are trying to get your attention, even for good, bad, right, or wrong, if we're not in it, you not you like I'm done. Yeah, yeah I I'm can like, shut. I can shut down real quick. Yeah. When so I, when I'm when I I'll tell people, and I always like like to, and it's like you say, good and bad. I think I, I I've talked to people, and I've said to them before, so we can kind of bring this to make this coherent. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, so, because I don't want us to sound right, I told you I hate podcasts that sound like people are rambling. Um, that was 14 minutes ago, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> but, anywho, I think that when when we do a podcast based upon uh, mental health and mental the mental well being of black or the underserved community, I hate that term, but I have to say it. And every time I say underserved, I'm going to say I hate that term. So, the underserved community. Um, and one of the things that we, you and I both talked about was where we fit in and when it comes to the black, black culture, black community, black, you know, all of those different things. Because as we were talking, I, I like to tell people, I am not your stereotypical individual, meaning I, my ideology differs from, I think, a lot of people. And so I am very much, because I'm a guy who loves hip hop, because I grew up in hip hop and hip hop. And when I see black talent and black greatness in that art form, what I understand when I watch hip hop is I understand the struggle because of how I grew up and the things that I saw in my neighbor. So when I see someone performing the art, the actual art of hip hop, and when I see the creativity in it, it's something that I gravitate towards. But what I don't gravitate towards from, uh, from hip hop in particular is I never like, because I don't think most of them are, but I, I'm, I don't have a mentality where I feel like even though I even though I grew up in that culture, I never had an identity crisis where I felt like you someone else controlled my destiny. I don't yeah. feel like someone else 
like I always looked at the moment DeAsia was born, the moment my our oldest daughter was born, my entire viewpoint went to what we were going to do and how we were going to teach them and how we were going to, you know, raise our children. That became my primary focus. And I think I told the story, I think I said it on a different podcast where the one young lady was like, you think your daughter better than? And it was like, I actually didn't think she was better than anyone. What I, <laughs> but what I, what I believed was I didn't want to accept what was, what, what was, there? What, what was mm-hmm. the norm in our community, mm-hmm. which the norm was we had a child as a teenager. And even though I, I wasn't thinking about the age at 18, I knew I didn't want her to have a kid at 18. Yeah, the exactly. I wanted her life to be different and better. And what was viewed in, what, how I was viewed in my community, like I say, starting from 14 and even in that conversation was, you think you're better than people. And, I, and, and like, for the longest time, did I get it? Nah. But did I care? No. But I don't think that, that wanting more. See, this is, okay, so this Baby. is where we say where, where we fit in. Yep. So my thought process is, it's not wanting better doesn't mean that you're better than anyone else. You have options. The yep. whole reason why, you know, it's funny because I I have this whole thing. I don't denounce too many things. Just because I it, it doesn't agree with me doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense for somebody else. And I think that too many times you can't denounce nothing. I ain't, I'm not talking except for was... bad lace fronts. Bad lace fronts. Anyway, but <laughs> I think that too many times we get stuck um, in different cultures, not just ours, but everywhere, where if it's not what you were told you were supposed to do and you and then you change your mind, you know, or if you're, you know, if you are told on Sunday you go to church, Monday through Friday you go to work, on Saturday you have dinner at such and such's house. That's all you do. That's your way. Mm-hmm. And when you finally decide, okay, I'm getting married and we're going to change the way we handle things. On Sundays, we may go to church at a different time, or we may not go to church. Mm-hmm. You know, Monday through Friday, I might work at night or in the daytime. I can't have lunch with you on um, Saturday anymore. That's not what our family wants to do. We want to start our own tradition. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think too many times people get stuck in this whole um, the rhetoric of why aren't you doing what we're doing? Because what we're like the as if you you decided to change what you're doing makes what they're doing somehow worse. You know, like, they take it, it as, as a personal attack. I saw it as, and I agree, I saw it as more insecurity. Yeah. I saw it as, and, and, and a part of me understood that when, and, and what was happening for them was change. As I was growing up, all of us, we, we all grew up together. And we all kind of, I was around for their kids and I would see their kids. And that was actually me watching them, their kids love on them was a part of me wanting to have a child, you know, at that early age. And so, once we had, I know, I, I, trust me, I don't recommend it. Um, uh, but it's a journey that people can, and I'm, a, I am not only I, but many people are make living with us, and they yes. make it through. But mm-hmm. I saw it as you are leaving us, and so what I was doing, where they shared their families with me, it wasn't that I wasn't sharing my family with them. I didn't want my daughter picking up some of the habits, and I immediately knew some of the habits that I saw as negative and not something to build upon. And so for me, or to them, that was viewed as you think you're better than. Yeah. And now I never said it. Now you're I just, uppity. Yeah, you're a yeah, snob. Yeah. Oh, you think you all that? Exactly. I'm black boy. You still, you just a nigga from the hood. You're like, wait a minute. And, 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 I, and I was, but the thing was this. I was not going to allow what your, 
what you have for your, what you have planned for your kids. That's family, your life. That's your life. Yep. And what I had planned for my kids and my, and, 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 and my daughter at the time, what we had planned for her was, was uh, I told you, I was militant. I was strict. I was, I was on it. I wanted her to have a certain type of education. I wanted her to achieve. And my, my, my having a daughter to me saved my life. It changed my life. And so having a kid for me changed my life. Yeah, exactly. So you have to, you, so what it did was it forced me to grow up. But it didn't, I didn't want to grow up not, and it wasn't just not growing up in that environment. My mother and my grandmother still live in the community that I, that I was raised in. So mm-hmm. that's the neighborhood that I still visit. The, the issue, it, the issue was when she was growing up at that point in time, and as they were growing up, I just saw and realized I wanted different for my child. And so I didn't feel like, and, and like I said, I really didn't care that the thought was you, you're, you think you're better than that. That didn't bother me um, at all. I knew I had higher aspirations for my family. I knew I had something different planned. And if no one else was seeing it, that wasn't my problem. That was more their problem. Yeah. See, I don't think I had any pushback with regards to family life. This was I family. Think, this was friends. This wasn't family. No, no, no. Family no, no, no. Good. When I say family life, I mean, as my family started to build, I don't think I had, I had, again, let me just say this. The friends that I've had, I have one best friend from 10th grade. And then I have some good girlfriends. And then, and when I say good girlfriends, I mean like really sister girlfriends. And then my best, my adult best friend, I met her um, through Kenny's best friend, my husband's best friend. Mm -hmm. So those were, that's my core. So growing up, I didn't have a lot of the pushback that you would have through family because it was my mom and my brother Mm -hmm. and my uncle, my, and they always wanted to go to the next right. level. They yeah. were interested in being at the next level. And with my brother... Shout out to Pat Jacobs. <laughs> um, but with my brother, we took very different paths. He wanted to be a rapper. He wanted that lifestyle. I think he wanted more, but he was okay with where he was. And I was never okay with subpar. And I was... Always going to ball on a budget, but I was never that person. So, like, my <laughs> any any kind of discrepancies I had with regards to um, wanting to be better or thinking you're better than was more people misjudging the movements I was making on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You know, if how you dress, your hair, how you speak, your education, your job, things like that. But I lucked up and never really ran into too many people. The people who would say things about me didn't know me. Even by some guy on the street who was like, you know, are you stuck up bitch because you won't talk. I'm like, no, motherfucker, I'm probably got cramps and I don't feel good. I'm about to say some shit on my mouth and then you can shoot me like... Wasn't it low down dirty shame where the woman had the cramps? I don't know. Is that the one with the leg? Yeah, it was the the Keenan Ivory Wayne movie where she said, I got cramps or whatever. I mean, but you know, I think, but that's the thing. Like when you talk about fitting in, it's like we both grew up, even though we grew up on opposite sides of town, we still had the same look. I grew up East Baltimore. Where did you grow up? Patricia Jacobs. But we lived in West Baltimore. (laughs) Um, But we still grew up watching, um, you know, poverty. We still grew up watching, you know, drugs Mm -hmm. and the deterioration of your neighborhood and you know watching old people get taken advantage of by the drug habits that's 
that kids have fallen into and watching people die Mm -hmm. because they were trying to live this fast life that some of them had to like you had if you were going to eat and that you didn't have a parent if your parent was strung out and it was just you and that was the life you chose you know hopefully you flipped it so that it made yourself better but i think for me i knew i knew as soon as i got out I wasn't fucking going back. And it had nothing to do with being black. It had nothing to do with denying my culture. I just knew that for me, mentally, it was a stagnant, stifling place. It was not a place where my dreams were going to flourish. And that's where I kind of, you know, where I fit in. Because it wasn't, my thing was, it wasn't just like my uncle came along and taught me all these things that were not black culture. Most of the things that I learned were black culture. You know, like you say, the arts. Um, you know, the music, um, the, music mm-hmm. the significance of struggle, but making it out of it, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that too many times, especially with all the technology we have, the assumption is that the struggle should be less. But I think the more you take away the human touch, the, the yeah. more struggle you're going to have, component is all you know? Exactly. So like you say, you know, you knew exactly what you wanted to do for your family or we had an idea because no matter what your plan is, God's plan is something completely different. And you try to work along with what he's doing to Always. try to get to the next place. Always. But I never really had a plan for my family because in my head, we, my husband and I, we were creating the pages literally as we were going starting out as young as we did that's all you have like we didn't have an example no that's what i'm saying we i'm not talking about you can you no i mean i thought you were talking about you and trish you know but we didn't have that that example in front of us so what we we were both couples were writing or learning to write the pages of the the book the the life the, the lives that we were living because we didn't know and i agree that when when we were kind of taking this journey or this as this young family that like we talked about the, the bumps the bruises and everything the one thing i knew was i wanted success um i'm not a spoken word poet nor am i a, a name it claim it kind of guy but one <laughs> but um i know I, I got a buddy my boy county boy t.o county boy t.o always talks about um uh he, he references you know you know, either writing things down and, you know, different philosophers. So you speak it out, you, you speak it into the ether and it comes into being. I, I'm i not going to say I'm one that that that, uh, that believes in that. I mean... I do. I mean, I'm, and that's... No, no, no that's I'm, not, I'm not knocking it, but that's... But, I, see, I but see, I would say this, though. My thought process and my mental process, my first job, my first real job was cleaning toilets at, you know, a hospital and mopping floors. But what I saw there was I saw that these individuals from the nurses to the doctors to the, the the phlebotomists you know everybody who had a role as i'm looking at them i saw that as the same type of hustle and the same type of struggle that i saw when i was growing up mm-hmm. and so in my mind and one of the things i said to trisha when we were coming up was i said this is nothing but that i said all they're doing is legalized hustling and i said because they're doing legalized hustling what i want is i said i got to learn that hustle and so to me i had to learn the difference I had to learn business and I had to learn industries and I had to learn how to continue to advance. And so I realized the the product or the, the product that was going to be sold was me. And in order to become more marketable, 
I had to improve my product. I had to improve Absolutely. myself. And Absolutely. so that process was a part of developing not just me, but my entire family in that way. And so I didn't see, I didn't look at, and, and when you said something about race, I when I saw that hustle, I didn't think race. What I saw was I knew what I wanted to achieve. And I didn't see a certain type of person or color as a, as a standard that I could achieve, achieve that as, as a level of achievement. Like if I get here, I'll have accomplished this and I'll be like this group of people. I, when people say keeping up with the Joneses, I never paid attention to the Joneses, well, the Jacksons. I the Joneses, but I, I, or the Jeffersons. Exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention to that. You know what I mean? And so, it was the brand. Exactly. And so for me, it was about what we wanted. And so that was what we worked towards. That was where we always, you know, tried to, what we always tried to get to. I think the difference was, was the mentality of the individuals that I either worked around, even after I left that neighborhood, uh, the neighborhood I grew up in, the, the people I worked around starting in janitorial and, and once I moved into the, the field of security, it wasn't still always a positive. They didn't no. always think they all, they looked at life and it bothered me to a certain extent as if somehow we were victims of the choices that we made. And that uh, was no. such a problem the, for me. The, so for me, you know how I feel about the victim word. I, I don't even accept it. Mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't happen to people. And there are situations where absolutely you're victimized. No doubt. However, I think too many times we fall in line based on the stereotypes that we see or what we think we, how we think we should play. You know, because... Like you said, the, the the hustle really is you learning how to one-up yourself. That's really the hustle. Okay, mm-hmm. so today I'm, you know, I'm doing this. Tomorrow I'll be doing this. You know, I work in the legal field. I literally had to kind of, I had to learn how to play the black card, which was weird. Because, like, I went from working at an all-black law firm before I started my job where I am now. Mm-hmm. To being like one of six blacks in like a 300 and something person building. Mm. Okay. So talk about pepper spread, you know. (laughs) And it was this weird thing because, you know, it was like, you know, we're going to eat lunch together. And we're going to hang out together. And I was never that person. I don't have clicks. That's not me. Mm -hmm. I just don't do so well with organized crime. I just can't. We can't all pull together. I'm like, you need to understand if I decide in the middle of this that I'm out, I'm out. like you just you just yeah. you just holding the bag, fuck this, I'm out. Mm-hmm. But I never had to work on that. I do know that, like I said before, you know, when I first started my job, current job where I am now, I absolutely had identity crisis. A because I was just young. When you're 22, shit, like, <laughs> what do you really know? You know, like seriously, at 22, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, 22, 23. But I knew that in the community where I lived, because I worked where I worked and because I was doing what I was doing, I was a sellout or I was told to pretend to be something that I wasn't in order to fit into the area so I could achieve more, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why I would say the, the whole conversation about talking white and, you know, dressing the part. And trying to fit in as if your blackness is some kind of disease that's going to attack a person. Or if, mm-hmm. like, you know, your nappy hair is going to cause somebody's straight hair to curl up. Like, that's not how life works. But 
that really was my fit in, you know, because I think growing up, I was always like the, I was a pretty nerd. That's what my best friend from 10th grade said up to me all the time. Mm-hmm. She said, you you, you know, we like pretty nerds <laughs> because I loved to learn and all the stuff that I like was super weird, a little off. Mm-hmm. It was never mainstream. I wasn't a name brand kid. That just wasn't my thing. And I think with me, when I raised, when I started having kids, none of my kids were name brand, not always on purpose. Some because we couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And we had kids so quick back to back. that like, nobody knows what it's like to be by themselves, except for my oldest, a little teeny bit. She pretends like she does, but it's a whole lot. Um, but we just didn't do that. Yeah. Because we were trying to make sure that we could afford to live, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, you know, the fit in part is we didn't fit into anybody's stereotypes because the statistics we had already done, you know, I had gotten pregnant earlier, mm-hmm. had an abortion. I had, you know, we had kids out of marriage. We moved together out of marriage. We did all the things that supposedly the impoverished poor people do and you don't make it. Or you, all the sins that you can commit before yeah. the marriage, per se. But you, And that's going to be a perfect segue. Because it's a good segue into, to me, the next, the next topic that I would like to talk about. Because you just talk about all the sins that you can commit before then. That's also a stigma that, we, that you face. Because as, as I've stated before, my faith matters. The word matters to me. It directs and guides but there's so many things that we apply differently within the church to or within whatever your faith may be that when it boils down to what, how do you fit in there? Where did, what's your role there? That's a whole separate conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we'll that, be back. There you go. And we're back. No, that was too deep. You supposed to say it like softer. And we're back. There you go. That's it right there. <laughs> All right, good people. Uh, oh. As we left off, we left off talking about the church. <laughs> Not really. And, uh, we, but as, as we go through this whole where we fit in piece, uh, your, your background and our background, I, it was funny, me coming, me getting into the faith, I was a little different because I didn't grow up in church. And when I say thankfully, I mean it. This is, I'm thankful that I didn't. I got um, kicked out of church. Not really, but I tried. I did. I got kicked out once. I did get kicked out once uh, of church because we used to go. And we used to go. I remember going every other Sunday or something like that. Um, but it was not. And I was thankful that my grandmother did not make us go. She did when we were younger to a certain extent, but then we stopped. And so I grew up without it in my life. And, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm happy is because, like you say, that Aquarian in me. I'm glad that when I came to my faith and when I grew in my understanding of who Jesus Christ was and what he did for me, I came to that faith based upon reading, like I said, an epiphany sitting in a security booth, the godly living and the wonderful life. It was more, it was the wonderful life of Mary Troutman um, and the pink Bible, the pink new yeah, century, pink. <laughs> a pink new century version Bible that, was precious that she gave to me that had the entire Old Testament and the, and the Gospels. Uh, and so I was able to read, learn, and grow. And in doing so, um, 
it, you know, the first place that I, I knew, and it wasn't more judgment, but I wasn't into uh, holy roller churches, I, as people call them, um, and even as I call them. And there's no disrespect to anyone. Um, I wasn't, I think we had visited a couple of churches where you would be there all day. And because of my attention span, um, I could not do it. Uh, it Dude, was, it, it was, was like being in the, you like that movie Gorilla from the Mist. You just in the forest forever and nobody ever lets you out. And when you raise your hand, be like, can I please go to the bathroom? Like you went in the bathroom and stayed for five minutes because you were like, I just need to get out. Oh, I, just need to get out. I, don't even, I don't even know what they're talking about no so, more. Did you see the movie Get Out? If you, no. You, you gotta watch it. It was just so funny. I don't. It was, well, you don't have to. That's your choice. But like you said, get Some things out. you just don't put in my head, dude. I'll stay there. <laughs> Got you. I'm an active imagination is what I have. But anywho, the, the, the whole concept of Get Out is what I felt like it, when we would be in, in some of those circles. Because while we were sitting there, we'd be like, looking over like, oh, this ain't working. And, and I told you, I grew up. Yeah. Church, church, yeah, church, yeah. church, church, church. Yeah, y'all. Cause I'm church, that. y'all. Cause I'm church, y'all. Cause I'm church to church. I like church, y'all. <laughs> like literally, you'd be like, are we ever? I told you, I kissed the pastor's son. I was like, please catch me in the so middle of can, this sin. So you, because I'm fitting to take one for the <laughs> team, so we can go kicked. home. I want you kicked and out. And the only thing they just made me say Hail Mary one hundred times. I was like, I can't even commit a sin big enough to get out of here. I was like, please let me out. But the funny thing was, it wasn't the activity itself. It's just that I think when you're so young and it's not a participatory type thing, you know, and you don't really have a say in what's happening. You know, you just know that you're getting up, you're going, you're going to learn these lessons. It's not even like the lessons that you learn mm-hmm. are, are given with um, any kind of activity to help you understand or reciprocate mm-hmm. back what's mm-hmm. happening, you know. So, I mean, it, it felt like school. So, if you go to school Monday through Friday and then you go into Sunday school and then you go into Tuesday or Bible, like Bible study and then like by the time you're done, you're you exhausted. Just, you're exhausted. You're, you're, mentally, you're mentally, to me, you can be mentally worn And out. also, I think if you come from a... a um, I don't want to say it's a culture. And when I say culture, I don't mean any particular color where children just, you know, you're seen and not heard. So in church, you know, you, you had to be quiet. You you couldn't fall asleep. You couldn't eat. You couldn't move. But you're talking about little kids, kids who bodies literally are like growing as they're sitting in the and chair. And supposed to get actual sleep. You know. <laughs> we teach our kids sleep, sleep deprivation. And that's all these studies that talk about the importance of sleep and we're depriving yes. our kids. And my, and my biggest thing, and I used to say all the time, and I talked to my mom, and my huge thing growing up was, I said, I just never wanted a relationship with someone that I wanted, that I needed to fear. And I think that that was a big thing growing up that we had inside of the churches that we went to. It was this whole, like, you know, fear the wrath of the Lord. Like, it just, it was never a friendship. It was never never a relationship. It was always this fear. It was, you know, you were the submissive and that was the master. And if Mm -hmm. you weren't submissive, you were committing a sin. And then the gaggle would come after you, you know, like you'd be, like you said, they didn't burning stuff down Mm -hmm. trying to get to you. But yeah. see, mine was different. See, like I say, when I came, because you were you were later in life. I was later in life. I was I had just turned twenty one, and 
when that first year was just reading, talking to my family about it. And then what happened was we, we joined it and I won't name other places, but I'll talk about where we went. We went to an independent Baptist church and this independent Baptist church was multicultural. Um, it was very split. It was 40%. I always would say 40% white, 40% black, 20% everything else. And that's like a true dynamic. It was very, very multicultural. So I enjoyed that. They had a bus ministry. They had all of these different things. And even with that big mixture, the, the draw to me was they were deeply into the word, um, but they were very, the, the worship was all Eurocentric. It was all European style worship. There was, it, the, I love, the things I loved about it was, it was the service was an hour. It never, it never went past an hour and 15 minutes, but it was one hour and we would stop on a dot. How they did that every time, I don't know. Um, it, and, you know working, at the, working through Catholic stuff, you do learn that they literally they, have everything. It's a, but that was a good. Agenda. But you know, like, like you said, when we grew up, it was nothing like that. It's it's not that like it was like if the, spirit, if the spirit is rolling, we keep moving. But nothing is needless to say. <laughs> stop. That's 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 stop. It's not like the podcast. We gonna give you the we, Holy Ghost all the way to the end. We are working on that, y'all. We working on that. <laughs> but and going to this place, that was a good experience because it was it, like there we found a lot of friends. It was foundational. Um, it was it was actually a very for me it was for our family it was a very pleasant experience until and it was that was the funny part and this is the where that where do I fit in there the where do I fit in there was funny because even while I was there some things that kind of triggered me while I was there was as I stated they had a bus ministry loved the bus ministry well I I, I didn't get involved with the bus ministry at first I got it I just I used to just attend the pastor's Sunday school class. And as I was attending the pastor Sunday school class, me and my little pink Bible, I'm still reading all of these stories. And so as he's talking, everything that he's saying, I've read these stories and they're standing out to me. So when he would ask questions, I could just be like, I'm talking like, and he's like, oh, you sound like you got like a real relationship there. It's like, yeah, this is not something that I like memorize. This is it's not like, a pastime. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, is my life. This is, this is me. So yeah. we, we kind of went through that. But as I was there, something happened. There was, they, 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 they knew my background, so they asked me, could I help them out with the, the, the bus kids? So in helping them out with the, and I hated that term, but the kids who were bussed into the church, busting in the church, just like busting in the school, just, just, just messed up mentality. But this was the first riff that I had with that church, which was I heard one day a bus driver call the kids... <laughs> So here we go. Uh, so in the and so we're my, back. First, my first riff, my first riff with the church was when I heard one of the bus drivers called refer to the children as if they were animals. And when that was said, it bothered me deeply because these kids were coming from homes and environments that were not like the homes of these suburban families who had kids who were going to church. And while it wasn't four hours of church, they were going to Christian school. And then from Christian school, they would go to Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, and then Wednesday night study. And then they would do youth group. So their kids had all of these regiments and regiment, regimented life, this regimented lifestyle. But this reference was made to these kids and it was the disdain in his voice that bothered me so much. And so at that moment, I realized one. That's that's who I was. So if you would have took me from my, you know, you would have came and took a bus into so my community. So now you're talking to me, exactly. In my community, exactly. So it bothered me 
that that's what was being said about these young people. And when that was said, what, what it did was I drew close to them and I separate. And it was, that was, I started becoming this because I would teach a Sunday school class to these kids from the, from the inner city. Mm -hmm. And as I'm teaching this class to these young kids, uh, a, a, a guy that he and I started talking and I told him, I really didn't mess with the church. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I, you know, I'm here. I do worship, but I'm here for these Sunday school kids. He's like, how are you going to be? He said, you're going to be your own independent Sunday school and independent Baptist church. I said, I sure am. As long as I'm here for these kids. And so we kind of went through that experience. That same guy was funny. We'll get to politics later a little bit. Um, we we kind of had that walk. But after we, after we had that split, where I had a split with this church was when, that same buddy that I mentioned where I sat down with his, with his wife mm -hmm, and, 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 and broke the, past, the glass, broke the glass. He brought to me, he brought, um, a Christian rap, a, a group called cross movement who performed hip hop, but they spoke Christian lyrics. And as they were doing this, I, up until this point, every hip hop artist that tried to do Christian music to me was just corny. I grew up with real hip hop. As I say, I was, I was a Wu Tang fan. I was an EPMD fan. When he says was, oh, is. And I am. I am a fan of all of okay. those genres. Okay. And those groups. Okay. But when I said was at the time, it was because even as I was in that church, they were so strict and so they were regimented. So I eased up off of that form of music. Okay. But so when he brought this music back into my life and I heard it and I was like, oh, and, and one of their lines of that song was like, Who, what's this new thing sounding like a Christian Wu Tang? So you know they had me once they said that. <laughs> <laughs> They, they said that line. Um, and so once that line was stated, I started listening to the music. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is like, I mean, and, and they could spit. And it was fine. There's a group from Philadelphia. So we start doing. So he was like, I'm starting a group because he liked the spit. And he's like, you want to be a part of the group? I'm like, bro, I don't rap. He's like, bro, I heard you, you know, imitate and mimic these individuals. You can rap. You just do your own flair. He had the pastor would preach against, and this is the thing that bothered me big time with, and was my where I fit in, especially with that church, but just started with church in general. He preached against culture and he preached that he would say it was against rap or he would say it was against something else. But the one thing I saw was he was preaching against my culture. He was preaching against my upbringing and it wasn't intentional towards me. It was, but and doing His so, ignorance. it was just trying to strip away mm -hmm. anything that was considered, if culture, like culture was considered sinful. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I was, was I was never ashamed of being black. I was never bothered by being who I was, where I was raised from, what I had come through. One of the ignorant people up the church one time when I was telling him my story, was like, oh, you would be a perfect, and said this to me out of his mouth, white guy, you'd be a perfect black Republican. Is what he said to me. And I said, bro, I'm never going to be that. We don't, we don't do that. I'm not going to be your spokesperson. I'm not going to be your token. I'm not going to be your example of, see, look what a lovely nigger looks like. That's not what I was going to be. I want a t-shirt. I want a t-shirt. <laughs> so I was not going to be any of those things. <laughs> and so you mix in now that this person, even funnier, they had just ordained me as a deacon of this church prior to because I had knowledge they would call me to pray in front of the church and people would come up and say I love when you pray it's so personal and it sounds like it's just you and the Lord so I so I, it was I, exactly so now I'm being esteemed in this place and it's like 
You rap? Oh, you talking about conflict? You talking about a lot of conflict? It caused that and ultimately it led to kind of me leaving that place because, and I left not because the people weren't good. I even, and, and the, unfortunately the pastor of that church passed away this year and Trisha and I went to the funeral. We loved the pastor. I loved him. Mm-hmm. He was, he, to me, when I say he was a good dude, he wasn't a good dude like uh, the Django slave master good dude. He, he was, was just a, a good person. He was a good person. He didn't understand and he didn't allow himself to, to understand culture. He didn't allow himself to, uh, he didn't allow himself to, and it's funny because one of his grandsons is married, is, is in a mixed relationship and has his grandkids. Uh, so he didn't have a problem with black folk. Yeah, but like I said, I believe he just had a problem with black Black culture, which means you have a problem with black folk. Come out that. I was gonna say, so, yeah, yeah, you, so you kind of like spread yeah, that you know, around. Like, yeah, you, so you, you, can't, you can't make that work. Then. Yeah, not not at all. So, <laughs> but none of, needless to say, I didn't fit into that place, and I didn't fit into, and I found that I don't fit into most because I went to. A, I've, I've gone to. We've been. To, I think we belong to three churches in our faith experience walk. But what always does not allow me to stay, or does not allow me to grow, is is I've learned that church is like a business. It's marketed like a business. It's where you're proselytized like it's a business. You're asked to violent. You're asked to volunteer your time. You're asked to give up yourself. You're asked to do all of those things. And it's out of your your faith to the Lord is what's driving these things. But the decisions behind the scenes, and this is where it becomes like business. The higher up you go in an organization, meaning when you're just a parishioner or just somebody attending, it's perfect. And you can love it. Not perfect, but you can love it. But when you start to elevate in the organization, then you see the dirty things behind the scenes. Then you see what happens with the money. And you then you start to see some of the decisions that are just not biblical at all. I remember going to the pastor one time and telling him how me being a young man in the faith, and ha- even though I had all of this word in me, I wasn't connecting with the other six, 12 deacons. I think we had 12 deacons because we like the disciples. So these uh, <laughs> the apostles or whatever. But I remember saying I didn't have a close relationship with them. And his response wasn't one of, well, you know, let's see if we can make this work. It was like, well, these are some godly men. So, you know, why are you not able to connect with them? And I'm like, whoa, I wasn't coming at you to go at them. I was coming at you because you're the spiritual leader and I needed some guidance. And the response was like it was an attack on him and his church. I was like, it's not an attack. And I realized at that moment, OK, so you don't want engagement anymore. And all of these things led to me saying, let me let, let me pull myself back, but I realize how soon, and that's why when you say the acquiring fits in, William Gilmer was created to be who God called him to be, but William Gilmer was definitely created to be a person who serves and, and can get out and do things, but I'm not meant to be in that box of what a religious organization would want because they always try to get you to assimilate into being who they want you to be. And they won't say that's what they're doing. But they're trying to get you to conform to them, less to him and more than him. None of the places where I served could ever say I wasn't giving of myself, giving of my family, giving my, because I love service. What I did not like doing was I never, when you tried to, whenever you tried to get me to be you or be like you, and especially at the expense of losing my culture and losing the fact that this East Baltimore kid loves East Baltimore. This kid that's black loves being black. This kid, as my daughter said to me to this day, who says not R, but says Aura, <laughs> when I say the letter R. I don't, but you know. But this is my, it's my, it's my we'll Baltimore. Talk, we'll talk about my past later. <laughs> so it's, it's my Baltimore thing, but that, that whole experience was one where 
uh, I realized I you couldn't change those parts of me because God never told me to get rid of those parts of me. He told me those parts of me were the parts of me that connected and allowed for conversations to happen. And when different people would come up to me, what they were experiencing, because I didn't shed my culture, we were actually able to develop strong relationships and build and I could have an impact on their life and they could have an impact on mine because we shared that culture instead of me saying, nah, I'm going to push away my blackness. I'm going to push away all of those things. I'm starting to achieve. I'm starting to grow. Achieve what and grow what? You can't outgrow what's in your spirit and who you are. The essence of who a man is or who a woman is. If you're black, you, I don't think you get away from that. And I'm not talking about black in the city black. But if you because if you're black, like my boy T.O. says, He's black, county boy black, and so his his experiences were different, but you don't shed who you are. If you try to lose your identity regardless of where you come from, and I don't care if it's if we want to call it faith-based or anything else, you lose that person. If you, when you want to talk about mental health crisis, that will lead to mental identity crisis big time. So, My flip side is, as far as faith goes, is that I've always been one of those people I've had, I've always had more faith than religion, mm -hmm. quote unquote. You know, so like my faith, what I believe in never wavers. And I'm a big intuition person, but I'm also, like I say all the time, I always like joke around with the hippie, but I am very much um, in <laughs> tune with what my, how my spirit feels, mm -hmm. the atmosphere around me. I am a be kind to people because that's just the right thing to do. I'm not always nice. I don't always say the right thing to make people feel good. But I'm kind. That's my thing. What are we laughing at? I, I like the way you phrased it. I agree with what you said. <laughs> I know it's, I'm not laughing. Ridicule. Once again, tell the people. I know, I'm just trying tell, to figure tell the people, out. We, we met when I was 18. And we on and off kind of been in each other's yes. lives. And so when you say something that clicks and registers, me like that's me. Yeah, we I have we have a lot of aha moments that we, where we had things in common. And that's so as said. that when you just said that, it's like oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. So I'm laughing yeah. because no, it's but I was true. laughing because you were like whoa, like uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. It's true of it. What you just said is true of me. So yeah. continue, please. So <laughs> I think when we're talking about you know when we were talking about religion and uh, that was never my thing. I just felt like it was a little too stifling for me. However, faith was a big thing that I taught and how to treat each other. Because I think as I've gotten older, a lot of my um, run-ins with church weren't comfortable. And it wasn't uncomfortable in the sense where because they weren't saying what I wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. It's just that my spirit never felt at rest. And I didn't. I never wanted to put myself or my kids in a place where we had to figure out how to fit in mm -hmm. to a place that where we weren't aligned, mm -hmm. you know? So as we, we growing up now, I will say that for me, this is things that make you who you are. When I was about 23, my now husband and I, we broke up. Mm -hmm. We broke up for like a year and a half. The first six months, I literally just cried. I couldn't get myself together because it really felt like a part of me was gone because when you have somebody from when you're All 14 your yeah. and, and then now you got to figure out what to and do. you're still early in life too. So early and so sensitive mm -hmm. and now with a kid. 
Mm-hmm. So much going on. So what I did was I read the whole Bible from the beginning to the end, like it was just just like a story. Just a book. No, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing going on. You'd be amazed at how many people think you're crazy when you're reading the Bible and laughing out loud. Like it's kind of a little because people are they see the Bible and it's supposed to be this very reverence, reverence thing mm-hmm. that when you're laughing, then you see some because there's some, there's some things in there where you like yo. Well, this dude's son dies and he goes down and sleeps with his son's wife who's dressing like a harlot so she can stay in the family. Like, like that's real. Hell? That's real. Or this dude is being chased and the father goes, no, you can take my daughter and do what you want. And they exactly. say, no, we want your son. Um, exactly. But, but so like this, and so when, so you, that's when you, you draw up today's movies, yeah. it's like, it couldn't get no better than it couldn't what's get written no back better. Yeah, yeah. And so, on top like, of that, when you're, when you are literally reading the written word, but now you're damning people for living a life that was in the word that you're supposed to be teaching. Like, it's just a lot. It was a lot mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've read the whole thing and my book, my heart, my place, Whenever I read the Bible, is the Book of Job. That is my. That is me, one hundred percent, every day, all day. Mm-hmm. I'm very unmoving when it comes to things that I believe in. I can listen to you. I can have a conversation with you, but what is for me is for me, and what is for you is for you. Mm-hmm. And I've always been that way. And I feel like that's what has propelled me. Whenever I have a trying moment, whenever things were very ill in my life. I followed my intuition, and my intuition was always my faith, and it has kept me very strong, grounded, and being able to move forward mm-hmm. instead of living in that like damnation, mm-hmm. you know, what was me type stage. Yeah. Because okay. you go through life where there are serious situations where you're trying to figure out where you fit in, and it's not where you fit in with your friends and family, it's with yourself. What am I doing that's not aligning me with myself? So that I can move forward, so I can prosper, so I can grow, so that I can hear what my next steps are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's always been my thing. And for me, my faith has always been very spiritual in the sense where I am very much a person who kind of stays quiet and listen to the voices of people who were before me. My elders mm-hmm. try mm-hmm. to recall stories. Yeah. It's always been that thing. You know, I am the incense burner. I am the candle lighter. I am the, that's my thing, you know. And what I learned along the way is, you know, you have so many people like, oh, well, you know, that's not how the Lord is. I'm like, your faith is your faith. It's what's inside of you. My faith doesn't have to match yours in order for us to get to the same place. Mm -hmm. It never does. But I have never had to, we were never in a organized system as far as a church goes. We tried it a couple times. It didn't feel good. My husband was Catholic and I was Baptist. He wanted to know why they were screaming. I wanted to know why I was asleep. It was always such a different thing, you know? And and now this is coming from a chick who went to Catholic school from fifth grade into eighth grade, you know? And like, like you said, we go in, we pray, they sing, you took your juice, you was out. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, back at the Baptist Church, we have just started the second half of Come All Ye Faithful. Like, we are just living a whole life. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like my, my steadfast belief in my faith has been what has drawn my good friendships, my 
in my great partnership with a lot of the people that I'm connected to. I, I have very little friendships that are less than 10 years old. All of my, you know, the people in my lives. And today I was really having this conversation with myself, per se, when I was um, trying to really articulate what it means to have a relationship or a partnership or a friendship and have something that's healthy and be able to connect with people around me who are nourishing my spirit and who I'm nourishing their spirit. I would never want a person to be around me when they felt like half of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've had friendships where we've had to like separate a bit because we were so far. The gap was so far. And then we found each other. We were realigned where we needed to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I try very hard not to request that people be like me because I wouldn't want to date myself. I'm just, I just, let me just be upfront. I think that I'm super awesome, but one Lisa is enough for me. But you me. can't gain anything and not going to take away from your story. Cause, no. But you, I, I once told a friend that same thing, a buddy of mine who used to emulate my actions and he would repeat my stories back to me as if they were his stories. And he would have a little Maybe. twist. That's a whole different kind of mental uh, health but, issue. But he struggled, and he struggled with this, and we but we had these conversations. But it was not just with him. One of the things I would always tell people because I agree with his statement. I never wanted people to be like me, and my reason being was I can't gain or benefit from who you're created to be, absolutely, and what your gifts are, and who what you can bring into my life if you're emulating me. And so the strong sense of me wanting you not to be like me was so that I could benefit. From you. Who you are as yes. an individual. And, because that's, and, that's a, you, you are, to me, you have a lot to offer me, but not if you're imitating yeah. me. And my thing was, and, and I still am very much this way, I love strong personalities. And I don't mean that in the sense where, you know, we got to thug it out. But I love for you to stay grounded in who you are, to have comfort and faith in who you are, and to have a sense of self because... When trouble breaks out, I need people who are very strong-willed with me. I've always been. My personality is very domineering sometimes. I can, at I can attack a situation with way too much fervor. What's fervor? Fervor. 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 Aura. Fervor. Yes, you know. Intense yes. heat. I, I, am, I can. Arr. Yes. And I'm like, all right. Um... Was that too much? And people were like, um, or I've had situations <laughs> where when I finally broke down, they couldn't handle the breakdown that I was having because they never knew how to be strong enough to surpass where I was. So they would be like, I don't know what to do. Um, we need to call someone. I'm like, well, who the fuck I called you for? Like, <laughs> we were we, like, so when you have your issue, I'm here. And then when I had, that's kind of how like a friendship worked. That's a partnership. Because, you know, I think people so a lot of times have this idea that a partnership is just a husband and wife. No. I'm like, my brother's my partner. Uh, you know, best friends are partners. That's right. You know, multiple you relationships you, know, so you have like, in life. That's you know, right. And I think for me, what made this podcast very attractive to me was, is that I knew that I had a strong person standing beside me 
who had his own mind and his own will and his own faith. And mm-hmm. it didn't have to align with minds all the time. I think the fact that we're different and the same, because sometimes we're so eerily well, the same. I was going to say, it's... Ooh, we only veer off a little. It's you not know? like the time. It's not but, like the time. But it's enough where it causes conversations, which is good because then we'll we be enlightened. Yeah, as I say, you know, when we, while we're sitting here and kind of talking, and I do want us to add, like, because as you were talking, I I, I want to hear how, like, what advice would you give somebody who is struggling with? What advice would you give someone who's struggling with? their journey in, in, in faith, like what helped you as you kind of went through your grow, growing up phase all the time in the church. Um, and I think you were just explaining it, but as you were, you know, you, you, you had that, that heavy, uh, my service church or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, you know, as you said, you've grown, you've grown and you've kind of developed your spiritual walk and your spirituality as you've developed those things. Like what advice would you give an individual who's, who's just looking to find their own peace with themselves as they're maybe from church to spirituality or whatever, whatever it is yeah. that they're going through, what advice would you say or what piece, one thing that, or a few things or a statement you would you say, help you to find that peace within yourself so that you can know, nope, this is home for me. I feel centered where I am. In I had, I learned to trust my own quiet voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I think growing up, especially in my community, people assumed that love was just this loud thing. You know, it was always, you know, whenever a girl had a boyfriend, it was like super loud and overly done. Not just in our <laughs> communities, so but in general. <laughs> we, we are so stupid the way we celebrate <laughs> but, stuff. You know, right? but like it was overly like done. Said, and when you watched, you know, and, and then when you, um, you know, death was loud birth was loud it was all these like different voices and none of it sound happy and the voice in my spirit was always very happy and comfortable Mm -hmm. but because i had this idea that i needed to follow the status quo i lost that voice Mm -hmm. and the only way that i've really truly found faith for me was when I learned to trust my voice. And I think that's just a maturity thing and also an experience thing because I've had experiences through my life um, dealing with death, you know, pregnancies, miscarriages, just things that would make you lose your mind if you didn't have some kind of a sense of self Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know because i i watch so many people who get stuck in the struggle and then they learn to embrace the struggle and that's all they know they refuse to break away from it Yeah, yeah but when you can sit quietly by yourself and embrace who you are whatever your voice is because you know it doesn't have to be this loud thing you come closer to your faith when you trust that you can Walk down the street, get on the bus, make it to work, you make it back home, you shut your door, you're safe. When you trust that you can get in your car, drive to work, come back home, you're safe. There's little small things. I think people assume that your faith has to be this big aha moment. And it's not. It's the fact that you woke up, you felt good, you called your mom, and you were able to say, I love you. It's the simple little things. You know, it's the same thing. It's like having your brother tell you that you made a difference in his life. Things that you don't, you're not even trying to do. Who told you that? 
You did. I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> um, but you know, it's like have just the small little things because I think for you, you had your epiphany and it was for you. Yeah. Your moment with your savior to talk mm-hmm. to you and have a conversation with you. For me, I've always had that. I've always been the kid who was a little too mature. I've always been the kid that was a little too, you know, I always get the statement, why are you being so positive? It's not me being positive, it's being me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not, I refuse to be ungrateful for how great life has been to me, Mm -hmm. even when it was horrible. You You know, because there are times that my faith was shaken, but never enough to make me fall. It's just, it was like, this is a lot. And I'm gonna need a break, <laughs> like a small break. And then we do, you know. So like, that, and I think that's my thing. When you talk to people, and I want them to realize that this mental health journey, this mental well-being journey, is small steps that lead you to a bigger platform, that leads you to a larger voice. And we sometimes get stuck thinking that we need to have this like boom, boom, this, this, yes, this, this, this you know what explosive. I mean. And it, it's not, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like. There are times where I, when we get lost in our podcast because we are enjoying the the conversation that each one of us are having with ourselves and with others, you know. But I think it's necessary. I we as we take this journey, the one thing that we I've stated, we've stated is I want regular conversation for regular people. And when I say that, I think there's so many because we super not regular. Thank you. Okay. All lies. She could be extraordinary. Okay. So well, I want this conversation to be between a regular person and an extraordinary, <laughs> superb. You know what my superhero um, uh, talent would be? It would be to like transport. That's what my crush would want to do. I would say disappear. That's, so that's just like disappearing. Uh huh. But the one thing, <laughs> the one thing I would share as we wrap up the the religious portion of this, the one I know what I would share. You you mentioned that. I've always like I had that epiphany. That that epiphany was one of the walk. I told you the, the before that epiphany with with God letting me know my life wasn't luck and that mm-hmm. grace was involved and it wasn't a mistake for me to be at this point in life mm-hmm. and to be continuing the journey that he had, he had been with me on. I told you my first real epiphany for being comfortable with being who I am started when I was about 14 to 15 years old Mm -hmm. when I first started using the term regular when I realized I was not going to fit in and I was not going to try to fit into the boxes of anyone who in the neighborhood didn't wear hand-me-downs like I wore who didn't you know who didn't like the quiet moments that I did I spent I would spend so much time in the house. People that they would say, "Are you punished?" I'm like, "No, I'm good." But I was good. But I was good being in a house with my GI Joes, with whatever show I was watching and whatever I was creating because I like to draw. So whatever I was creating, I was good in my space, and that was something that was a part of me, as you said, my entire life. I was making mixtapes. W E B B. She said that W back in the day. <laughs> Just like you know, I had two. I had two um, boom boxes. One record, one didn't. Boom, put them together. I spent all my time in the room with the door shut. What I would that's that's serious right there. That's that's way back. What I would share with people about their their journey is like you there's no one particular moment that that there's don't look for the big bang to happen kind of in your life. And 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 I think we live in a world where we see it and it's broadcast now 
you know, or streamed now so much that people want these super moments to kind of happen in their Facebook. And and what I what I the reason that I I how I encourage people is stop trying to find that moment because when you think that moment is, is is something you should have, then you spend time, whether it's in church or in the temple or over incense or whatever, but you're trying to make a moment happen. And then when it doesn't happen for you, it leads to this serious state of depression that can, yeah. that can that can actually hurt an individual. And I would tell people, come to a place where who you are, and because many of us can find that person by looking at those things that we enjoyed when we were children, how we kind of developed and how we grew up to being what we were. If you look at, if you if you realize what you were, and who you were when you were a child and those things that brought you joy, that person still exists in you. And Absolutely. I would say that the voice, the still small voice of God, the still small voice that you have going inside of you, that voice is speaking to that child. And once you accept who that person is inside of you, then you allow that person to mature. And once that person starts to mature inside of you, then you become the full human being that you're supposed to be. We, When we lose that and we keep trying to be a different type of an adult Absolutely. or a different type of person in church or a different type of spiritual individual. Or when we where fake to ourselves. But that's where we're faking. We're yeah. faking because it's like, I like this. I like this guru. Or I like this sage. So I want to be like her. Or I want to be like him. And you see people spend so much money and so much time trying to do it that as you're chasing this ghost of a person, this the ghost pers- of your, of yeah, your faith. Yeah. The, the, the person that you, that you were created to be, always rest inside of you and you don't have to go seeking for it it will find you if you take time to just stay in that still space or stop watching those 15 daggone sessions i'm um, seconds of hallelujah <laughs> all i'm telling you is that when it's your moment you, you your holy ghost but all that is, is, is such, that's false motivation you know that's just but, like but a false you know, motivation but you know i tell get. people all the time you know you are your moments, your aha moments within your faith. Yeah, I would clap. I was, I was so tempted to go. <laughs> don't do it. Don't but do it. But make too much noise on the podcast. Don't, I can't. I can't. <laughs> but, you, but your aha moments in faith really are those moments where you get goosebumps or when you're like, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you get it. It doesn't have to be this whole, you know, I, I love the words that are read from the Bible. But I really, really, really love when somebody talks to me from their heart and they get it. Because it's true. You know, and I think that too many times we we're so we're caught in this uh, really weird dynamic when we question how wise we are, Mm -hmm. you know, and just please always know that your words are coming from your faith. It just is. And, and when you feel hatred and when you feel despair, it is coming from your fear, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. like, that is just a, you know, a mm-hmm. thing. Powerful. You Very know? powerful. So, I just, I, I love when you can have a conversation and spar. And for me, I'm just, I just like the peacefulness. That's just my thing. And I love to laugh. We know that throughout this podcast, I probably sound like a hyena a lot. I like the beef. I'm, I'm going to get it in. I'm just saying. I'm going to get it in. I need you to buy me that. Burr, 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 burr. Like somebody give me a button and that could work out. But, you know, I think that that is our where do I fit in journey with regards to our spirituality. Very true. Yes.
Thanks for listening to All Up In Your Business podcast with Light and Lovely. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Instagram at All Up In Your Business podcast. That's A-L-L-U-P-N-U-R-B-I-Z-N-E-S-S podcast or personally at Light in your biz, L-I-T-E dot N-U-R-B-I-Z or at Lovely Brown, L-O-V-E-L-I-B-R-O-W-N or on Facebook, just search for All Up In Your Business. Please leave us a review on the podcast you're listening to. We appreciate your support. Peace.